Welcome to Founded at Berkeley, a podcast devoted to stories of UC Berkeley entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Anne Snitko. And I'm your host, Sean Lee. We're here today to give you a different perspective and visibility into the entrepreneurial ecosystem here at UC Berkeley. So today we're excited to be in Skydeck. And our guest today is my good friend, Kurash. Kurash is a EWMBA 2018, a double bear, also an alumni of Skydeck and co-founder of Ping, an automated timekeeping service for large law firms. Kurash, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sounds good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. So yeah, I'm Kurosh and I'm the COO of Ping and we're five co-founders that started the company. We're about a team of 12 now. Mm-hmm. And we started the company in 2016. And I never thought I would kind of get into doing a legal tech company because my background was actually in finance. Mm. But I saw a lot of the innovation that was happening in the financial services industry. And I worked in the industry for about seven years. And so it felt like the legal industry was ripe for disruption. Mm. And my best friend, a lot of my friends became lawyers and our CEO is a lawyer. And he's my best friend from undergrad at Berkeley. Hmm. And when the idea came up, it felt like the right thing to, uh, the right idea to be able to sort of go for it and really pursue it in a meaningful way. Hmm. And just just to clarify, um, you are currently an MBA student, right, at Berkeley? Yeah, so I did the part-time MBA program and I was still working at my job in finance at a company called Baylord. We were doing wealth management hmm. and I got through more than half the program before I left to start ping. Right. And I got to tell you, I thought I was working really hard when I had a normal job. And after we started ping, school got so much harder, but I just stuck with it. And I'll be done in two months and it'll be a huge weight off my back. And I'm so thankful that I didn't quit. Um, but at times it can be really hard to balance starting a company with, you know, doing doing school. And I've had to really limit school to, to the weekends because I can't let it affect our startup. Right. And so I end up spending... Like any minute of time that would be personal time or time with my girlfriend or my family ends up yeah. sort of going towards school and then whatever's left gets distributed across. Um, but they've been super understanding. So what was that decision-making process like, uh, hap- you know, quitting your job and going into paying? Did you, were you guys revenue generating or was this just like a huge risk? Yeah, when you, it was a huge risk in the sense that we, we definitely weren't revenue generating we had a team and I, I believed in the people uh, that I was working with. And I knew that no matter what happened, we would sort of navigate and get through this. And credit to the rest of the team, they had each made big sacrifices. So uh, our CEO, he quit his job. And that really signaled to the rest of us that we're gonna just do this. Mm-hmm. This won't be a part-time thing, we need to commit to it. And then our two co-founders who were engineers, they said that we'll turn down the job offers that we have. And they were an undergrad. Mm. They were doing computer science at Davis. And when they graduated, they said, we'll turn down these big tech jobs. And we'll, we believe in you enough to start this company. Let's go for it. Mm. The fourth co-founder, Eric, he was in law school at the time and basically said, I won't take the bar because I know we can't afford for me to go dark for three months. The company will die. Mm. And we hadn't raised any funding. So I was the last one. What ended up happening is because I kept my job a few months longer, I ended up helping a bit with bootstrapping the company. I, see. Uh, I moved two of the guys into my apartment. They shared a room. 
Uh, we put up bunk like a bunk bed for them <laughs> and uh, really kicked things off. We got this small office in the inner Richmond, and it was a, a doctor had this like house with a bedroom upstairs. And I was going to dinner one night, and I saw a flyer that said you know room for rent. And we mm-hmm. went and talked to him, Doctor Johnson. He and he asked for all these docs documents from us like business documents. Yeah, and yeah. We're like, listen, Doctor Johnson, like we got nothing, but <laughs> just let it, give us a shot. And he believed in us. His daughter went to Cal, actually. Mm. And so he let us rent this room upstairs and we threw a couch in there, a whiteboard. And that became our first office, a uh, little 10 by 10 space where we could only fit two or three desks wow. and really kind of got things going. And then for me, I, when I put my notice in, just getting, getting back to your point, the goal had been that we would pick a date and stick to it. And I had aligned the date with when we thought we would maybe have some sort of a product mm-hmm. because my background's more in business development. And I was like, okay, I could take this thing out and start marketing it, start talking to users. Well, the date came around and obviously as it goes, the first time you're building something, you might underestimate how difficult it's gonna be. So we had no product, but I had to stick with the date. And so uh, December 1st, 2016, I went full time. That's kind of how things started. Can you describe a little this this day for you? Because this process of like going full time, like go go all in in business, it's kind of a big issue for a lot of you in our classmates. Mm. People who want to, to start a startup, to start a company, people who have like all knowledge to do that. But these changes very scarce a lot of people. I still remember it. I mean, like it was yesterday because you work your whole life to reach certain goals that you think are things you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so graduated college, got a good job, was making a really great living, felt accomplished, got to wear a suit every day, yeah. had a really cool apartment, nice car. And you get to a point where like that stuff just doesn't really excite you anymore. And coming, you know, I guess Vancouver, you were mentioning was a bit of a small town where I came from. Those are things that growing up, I always aspired to have. And then when it happened, it's not what really drove me anymore. And I talked to my parents and told them I wanted to do this thing. And of course, they were incredibly supportive, but as, you know, as parents should do, they are worried. They want to make sure that you'll still be fine. Mm-hmm. And I told them, no matter what happens, like I'll get back on my feet. And I might look back and this will be the dumbest thing I did, but I'll figure it out. Or I'll learn a lot and yeah. I'll figure it out. Or it'll become a success. And I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm just going to move forward with this. And, and go for it. And it was really scary when I went in and put in my notice. I loved my coworkers. I'd been there over seven years. This company had really raised me. They taught me so much. And I had to pull my mentors into a room and say, thanks for everything. I'm incredibly happy here, mm. but I have this itch. I have this drive to try to start a company and I'll never be able to do that here. Mm. And that's why I'm leaving. It's not for any other reason. I, I don't, you know, the, the opportunity is unproven. So yeah please don't be upset with me and credit to them. They were supportive and said, yeah, we get it. Like, good luck. We hope we wish you the very best. Go yeah. do this thing that you want to do. Uh, but it was an emotional day for me. And that was the hardest part after that meeting, everything else was easy. Honestly, it's just getting to that point where you put your back against the wall and you commit the rest of it just works itself out. And that's one of the things that, uh, recently took up climbing and there are a lot of these, um, climbing challenges where, Uh, it's all about committing. If you don't commit, then you can't reach that next, you know, grab. It's it's just such a funny, funny metaphor. Um, so tell us about Ping. How did it start? What was so you told me that it pivoted, right? Yeah. What was the original idea or product? So, initially, we got together. 
to build a mobile app, of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. to replace business cards. So we hated how we hated where LinkedIn had gone. Yeah, it was very impersonal. People would just be adding you, folks you'd never met. Yeah, yeah. And everyone hates having a stack of business cards in their drawer. So we said, okay, what if we built a professional development app where you could exchange your contact information through something like Beacon? So if you're within proximity, with a push of a button or a swipe, you could exchange contact info. Mm. We built the app, and I was really excited to really get it out there because an organization that I'm involved with is called Young Professionals of San Francisco. We have 5,000 members right now. I figured, okay, we could take the app there and overnight have 5,000 users, and it would be perfect. It's a great way for people to connect. We built the app, but we realized this isn't, it's a cool app, but it's not a real business. Mm -hmm. We hadn't thought through things all the way. Mm -hmm. We knew we had an interesting idea, but didn't really push ourselves to take it all the way through in terms of that, the critical thinking of how does this become a, a business revenue generating? How does it grow? So from there, we tried to go a bit more enterprise and say, can we start building work directories for companies? The first day you started a company, you'll have everyone's contact info in this app, mm-hmm. their picture, their, their superpowers, their skills, their contact information. And from there, we're like, okay, this is also kind of interesting, but it's not a billion dollar type of idea. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan and I got together, and he, Ryan's the CEO, and I said, go go back to your law firm and ask everybody what they hate the most about mm-hmm. their job. I'm going to go do the same thing. I'm going to go talk to my coworkers and see what part of our job we don't like. He calls me that night, and he's like, I talked to eight people. Every single person hates timekeeping. Wow. And he's like, I've known that, but I had never connected the dots that timekeeping is the worst part of my job as a lawyer. Yeah. And I told him, yeah, you're right. Every time we go on these trips, like we were at a bachelor party in San Diego and he gets up at 7 a.m., jumps in his car to drive back to L.A. to go to his timesheet. And I was like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, if I don't get this timesheet in, I, I'm, I'm not getting my bonus this year. I'm going to yeah. be in big trouble. And so we talked to hundreds of lawyers and without a doubt, they hated manual timekeeping. Mm. And that's when we knew that, oh, this is a problem technology could solve. Yeah. And we went out and we started solving that problem and we realized really what's more interesting is the data that we're able to collect and what that could do for the whole industry. And that's when we realized we had a, a real opportunity. That's amazing. To further dig into that, your, um, from our understanding, Anne told me that one of your clients is uh, based, out of, based out of the country. Uh, how did you guys... Can you tell a story about how you found your first client? Yeah. I should say how our first client found us. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. It's December, 2016, two weeks after I've quit my job, started a company, no product, but an idea. Mm-hmm. We launch a website and it's just a splash page. We get, we started getting some inbound emails, which is a good sign. Yeah. And we get this email from a guy named Nick West. He's at a global UK law firm. And he says, give me a glimpse into the future. Really interested in what you guys are building. I call Ryan. I'm like, what the hell are we going to do? So we put together the sales deck, schedule the meeting, and we're like, okay, you know, low stakes. We don't know. They're, they're on the other side of the world. It's a good learning opportunity. Yeah. So a minute before the call, we're ready. We're both a little nervous. It's our first time going through the sales deck. Ryan's fire alarm goes off in his room. So he's, he's up on a chair, like swatting this thing off the <laughs> ceiling, rips it off, throws it off the balcony. He's out of breath, jumps back on, and then the call starts. Uh-huh. We stumble our way through the call, and there are like six or seven people on the other end of this call. We have no idea who they are, but they have these charming British accents. Yeah. 
and we get through the deck and at the end they're like okay this yeah this sounds amazing but you're clearly way too early like you haven't shown us anything well that's how it started mm-hmm. and two months later ryan and i flew out to new york for a legal tech conference sure enough nick west the same person who reached out to us was there and we met him and we immediately hit it off he is a technologist within the legal industry who is a visionary and really sees where things are headed mm. and when you heard how we were thinking about things we it clicked and from there the pattern of what happened after that it's almost incredible sort of the steps that got us to to closing this deal but he said i've got a lot of data that we want to make sense of and i i think there was really really interesting findings that could come out of this data and we said well we have data scientists on our team let give us a shot at this let us take a look at it mm. We'll anonymize it, we'll look at the data, and we'll report back to you free of charge. And through that experience, we started building a relationship with them. And for us, it was discovery because we knew that timekeeping would collect a lot of data, but we didn't know what law firms wanted to do with that data. Hmm. And so we skipped, we said, we know we can do the timekeeping, technology can solve that. Let's start to do discovery around what's interesting about this data collection. And through that experience, we built a relationship with him. One thing led to another and he called and said, we're going to run an accelerator out of our, our law firm. And it's only one of the only firms in the world that's doing this. They're incredibly forward thinking as a law firm. Mm. They interviewed 100 companies uh, across the world that were interested in legal tech or are building legal tech. And we, had, we were on a tight budget at that time. And we had a decision to make. Is Ryan going to do a Skype interview or fly out there? And he calls his dad and his dad's like, son, if you're going to do something, just do it right. Right. So we, we booked him a $1,500 flight, sent him to London. He nailed the pitch, came back the next day, and we got accepted into the program. Wow. And from there, we had to decide as a company, is it a distraction to split the team between California and London? And we had a lot going on in the U.S. We'd gotten into UC Berkeley Skydeck program. We were talking to LexisNexis about a startup program they were doing. And we ultimately, we disagreed but committed. And I, I thought it would might be a distraction to split the team. And Ryan, since he'd gone there and he'd seen it, he really had conviction that this could be the opportunity that we needed. And so he committed, he said, I'll move out there. I know you have school, you have things going on. You handle all the operations in the US. I'll go to London. Well, three days before he go, he was supposed to go to London, it was a, a turn of events. And some things came up where real opportunities popped up for us here in the US with a few of the biggest law firms in the world. Mm-hmm among a few other personal things that had come up. And he called me and he said, I didn't sleep last night. Uh, and I know this is going to kill you, but I need you to fly out on, on Sunday. And it was Thursday. I took a deep breath and uh, I said, all right. I said, I'll go. I'll, yeah. I'll go. I'll, I'll move out there. And my mom was visiting for Mother's Day that weekend. Yeah. So the next thing I did is I called her and I said, hey, mom, I'm like, hey, good news. I'm going to see you on Sunday. It's really exciting. You're coming to San Francisco, but you're going to have to help me pack because I'm moving to London for 10 weeks on Sunday. Wow. And I called my girlfriend, had the same conversation. That didn't go as well. Uh-huh. Um, but we worked through that as well. And yeah. I got her out there for the month of June. These little things, these little sacrifices all added up. And honestly, that experience taught us so much. We went from being just a startup that had a good idea to one that spent 10 weeks working with a top law firm, hands-on, talking to their executives, their lawyers, the lead IT folks at the firm. And by the end of the summer, we had a goal of getting our first global enterprise customer, Mm -hmm. raising investment funding, and becoming experts in enterprise software deployment. Mm -hmm. In a concentrated three months, we achieved that. And that's when really things completely changed for us as a company. 
and it, it all started with that crazy sales call with the fire alarm going off you know six months prior to that this is amazing those are the kinds of stories that we want to hear yeah. <laughs> you can't make that stuff up I mean yeah, that's I have a question. I think that it can be interesting for a lot of people to hear about bootstrapping, like your strategy at the beginning, because a lot of people think that they need to rise to have some capital to start from, start with. So yeah. how you did that? Now yeah. that you didn't have like any funding just be, be, before this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I can comment on that on maybe two levels. So on a personal level, my dream had been to start a company much much earlier I wouldn't have waited as long as I guess I was 28 or 29 when we started the company mm-hmm. but unfortunately I, I needed to build enough savings to be able to do that yeah and I figured I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna raise you know put aside enough money where I can just go do this crazy thing for a year or two and it won't hurt my it won't hurt me and it won't hurt anyone around me mm. And so that's for me, that's why it took so long for me to take the leap. And in between, I, I'd started other things, but I could do them on the side. But to really commit, go all in on something, person, that's why it took me so long. And I think that's important because a lot of people give advice, you know, just go for it. And that's true. Like entrepreneurs absolutely have to go for it. You can't second guess yourself. You have to go for it. But you also need a few things that are in place before you can really go for it. Because if you go for it and those other pieces aren't in place, you're not really going for it. And you're going to, you're going to get distracted. Absolutely. And a company will absorb every ounce of energy that you have every minute that you're awake, you're going to be thinking about your company. Mm-hmm. You can't be worrying about how am I going to make rent this month or, uh, you know, do I have enough money to book this flight to go see this client? Mm-hmm. So I guess on a personal level, that was important. Mm-hmm. And then we got that taken care of. That also allowed me, going back to what you were saying, when we started the company, our team's really interesting. We had three, three of our co-founders basically coming straight out of school. One was graduate school, a lawyer, and the other two were undergrad, yeah. incredibly talented engineers, but coming right out of under. So they obviously were counting on Ryan, who had been in the workforce for a few years as an attorney, and me, I've been in finance for seven years, to be able to do certain things to get us off the ground. Mm. And those are little things like being able to get our first office or provide housing to two of my co-founders in the city for a few months or actually almost a year. Uh, (laughs) And we did those things. And very quickly, when we felt like we had our act together and we had a very clear vision where we're going to take the company, then we felt comfortable going to our incredibly supportive friends and family and mentors. And we told them what we were doing. They saw the conviction in our eyes and they saw what we had given up to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And we raised our our angel round in right. February, but this was still based off of a vision. You know, the, the product was very much in the early days. That money helped us scale a bit. So we brought on some interns. We were able to hire a, a couple of engineers part-time, a couple of people offshore, and really started building the product. Step-by-step, step, that was enough to get us to when we went to London to be able to show them a product that we were proud of. Mm-hmm. And then through our time there at the law firm, they provided input on the product. We knew that by the end of summer, we had to put something in front of them that met all of their requirements. Mm. And so basically o- overnight, we tripled, we made a few more phone calls, raised a bit more capital, tripled the engineering team mm. and got to work for an intense an intense 10 weeks. And the end result of that is really what 
got us to the next step as a company because we had the opportunity to get on stage and say, when we got here, you wanted X, Y, and Z. And in 10 weeks, we built X, Y, and Z. Mm. And here it is. That's all That's all it took. And they said, okay, these guys can move fast. Right. Um, they've listened to us. They care about what our needs are as their customer. And they gave us a chance. So just to get the timeline right, you quit your job December 16th, 2016. Yeah. And then you guys um, sought out uh, angel round funding from friends and family February of 2017? Uh, exactly. Okay. So three months later, we and we were blessed to be able to do that in about three weeks. Yeah. Wow. We, we got in a sky deck. They gave us free office space, a ton of resources, mentors. Okay. You could see like the foundation was built. You, you have your team. You have a place you can call home yeah. to build a company. You have a little bit of money in the bank to be able to do certain things. Not enough to go out and hire full-time folks, but to be able to make progress. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, the co-founders had, we had to carry the burden. But those incremental steps, if you just work hard enough, the incremental improvement adds up. And when you look back, you end up with a result that you can be proud of. We just talked with Sean that entrepreneurs pass. There are also some people who help you, you know, so you never do anything alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so usually there's something who help you, who inspire you, who mentor you. Do you have such people in your life? Yeah, I'd like to touch on, I touch on a few people that really stand out. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, my parents. Uh, so blessed to have them in my lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad came here when he was 14 from Iran. Um, he was in elementary school with my mom. Always had a crush on her. They lived in the same neighborhood, and when he was 19, basically reached out and said, "Like, I, I've I've liked you for years." And- <laughs> We need to make this happen. And she, right. I guess my mom took a big chance and flew to America and they got married and that's that's how I ended up here. But they've really inspired me. I mean, they small business owners. I've never seen anyone work harder than them. Risk takers, always doing things on their own. And that gave me kind of that entrepreneurial blood. It's in, it's in your it's in your marrow. You have to you have to have almost seen it to be able to replicate it. Mm. And obviously, I'm applying it to technology. That's not what they did, but a lot of the characteristics are the same. So that's that. Then when I was in high school, I was involved in student body and involved with education system a bit. I was a student rep on the State Board of Education, which was a great opportunity. I'd given a, a short speech that was televised on like local TV, something that no one watches. You know, It plays mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. But one person in particular saw it, and he gave me an opportunity. So my freshman year... At Cal ended and I went back for the summer a hedge fund manager who was from my hometown and who's a huge advocate of public schools David Nuremberg he gave me uh, he gave me a shot and he gave me my first job in finance Wow and I was 18 19 had never didn't really even know anything about the stock market but he brought me in uh, he brought me in for the summer gave me an opportunity taught me mm-hmm. and really inspired me and that was my first job and I'll actually take one step back and and tell you one more thing about David. When I was applying to colleges, uh, this is a story that really sticks with me. Uh, I'd only applied to one school. I applied to University of Washington because so I was from Washington, and that was the you know it was a great school, and that's sort of where people from my high school went if yeah. they wanted to pursue their higher education. And he pulled me in the first time I met him, and he said, "Have you thought about any other schools? Have you looked at any other opportunities?" Uh, and I said, "Not really. Like Seattle's close. It makes sense. I'm just." And he said, no, I want you to dream bigger. Just just do it. Yeah. UW's a great school, and if you end up there, you'll do amazing things. But yeah. why not consider out of state? Right. And so 
I applied to Berkeley because I'd grown up here and always admired this campus. And he had gone to Yale. And he says, what do you know about Yale? And I said, nothing. I've never been to the East Coast, David. I don't know anything about Yale. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to book you a flight. I'm going to set you up with some people in the dorms. And he sent me to Yale for, wow. for a few days. And I was 17 years old. It's the coolest thing that had happened to me. And I get to Yale. Yeah. I'm supposed to go there for a few days to see the campus. They end up having a snowstorm. Uh-huh. I end up stuck in Yale for <laughs> over a week. And I don't have to do homework. I have nothing to do. So I'm making friends, partying, having the time of my life. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. I was staying with three guys in their dorm room. And at night, they were on their computer. And I'm like, hey, what is that? What are you guys messing around with? And they're like, oh, it's this thing called the Facebook. It's only for Harvard and for Harvard and Yale. Like, yeah. don't worry about it, you know? And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. I mean, and sure enough, you know, yep. you know yep. where that went. But my, my point with this story is, I'll never forget that someone just saw saw me and saw something in me and basically volunteered to give me a chance. So he put something in front of me that I hadn't really thought much about or thought would be feasible or possible or within reach. Mm-hmm. And he inspired me. And that really changed everything for me. So I, I ended up deciding to go to Berkeley, came here, and then he gave me my first job in finance. And when you're 18, 19, and you see those types of things that you'd never have experienced before, uh, it allows you to start dreaming. And that's all it takes is a dream because if you can dream, then you can pursue that dream. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have this, the vision, the dream, that, that's where things stagnate. Um, and that's, how, that's really how my whole education and professional life started was through that experience. Can, can you talk more about um, who you met after that? Absolutely. So I got to Berkeley and I was an out-of-state student. So naturally I had to figure out how I'm gonna pay for school started looking around for opportunities and this was 2005 Mm. as a freshman and I discovered a new program called the Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology and uh, Professor Iklok Sidhu was running the program at the time there was a woman Susan Broderick uh, who was helping him and I think it was one of the first as far as I know entrepreneurship programs that was taking off on campus and Iklok he had a vision He's like, entrepreneurship needs to be a bigger part of what's happening at UC Berkeley. Mm. And I was like, yeah, cool, that sounds great. Like, let me know how I can help you. Yeah. And it started off early days, uh, he ran a lecture series and it was the flagship course for the program. And he has an incredible network. So he would bring in the most incredible speakers to come speak to our class. And my job as the program manager was, I would meet them in the parking lot, give them a parking pass, I'd escort them to the auditorium, set up their computer, and then chit-chat with them. And it was so cool. Like John Hankey came, the founder of Hotmail. I mean, the list goes on and on. Venture capitalists were coming. Uh, Showman, who's now at Onset Ventures. He, I think he graduated from Berkeley when he was 14 or 15 years old. <laughs> got, his, got his degree from this caliber of folks. And I was interacting with them. And again, that inspired me. As a young person, I hadn't been around people like that before growing up at, of that level, doing those types of things. And so I continued my job part-time for three years working for the Center for Entrepreneurship. And I learned so much for, from Iclock and through that opportunity. And that's when I knew that eventually one day I want to be on the other side of this. I want to be someone who's starting a company. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know when, but I need to do this. Mm. It's something that I'm interested in. And that that journey continued for me. I graduated a semester early. 
Um, through that network, I got a job at a venture capital firm in Oakland. Mm. And that, that semester that I'd finished early, I'd go to Oakland and work at Claremont Creek Ventures. And I learned a bit about venture capital. I knew nothing about that. Right. Then I sort of parked all that for seven years until I started Ping. Wow. But it, I never forgot about it. It was always in the back of my mind. I just needed to build a foundation and some financial security so that I could pursue my real dreams. I guess sometimes this you're at where you ended up, you yeah. have to look at sort of the the pivotal moments. Yeah. And you only see those patterns when you look backwards because when all this stuff was happening, it, you know, I had no idea what it would mean down the line. And I'm just blessed that people gave me a chance. And a lot of it, thanks to UC Berkeley, I mean, the opportunity I got as an undergrad here, I mentioned ICLOC in the Center for Entrepreneurship. And uh, really when we started our company, Skydeck, mm-hmm. And, and Caroline Wynette, they brought us in and gave us a place to build our company. And that's been invaluable. And now we're full circle. My best friend I met as an undergrad is now working with me to start a company yeah. here at Berkeley. And we've had all the support in the world. And I want us to be the biggest, one of the biggest successes to come out of UC Berkeley. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being with us today and like for your story. It's amazing. Thank you both for taking the time and really capturing these stories and sharing them with the Berkeley community because I think it's important for the people to be able to connect and know that they're not the only ones who are thinking about maybe taking the leap that other people have done it and that we can all help each other. Please feel free to email us with suggestions or comment below on how we can make this podcast more valuable for you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope we provided you with useful insights into the UC Berkeley entrepreneurial ecosystem. You can reach us at reachshawn at berkeley.edu, spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu, or Ann underscore Snitko, that's spelled A-N-N underscore S-N-I-T-K-O at berkeley.edu.